Hey there, budgeteers. Are you ready to unlock the power of each payday and take control of your finances like a boss? Introducing the Payday Power Planner from New Money Habits. This isn't your average budgeting tool, oh no. With the Payday Power Planner, you'll harness the unique rhythm of your paychecks to supercharge your financial game. Say goodbye to the confusion of monthly budgets and hello to the clarity of every payday. You'll know exactly when money is coming in and when it's going out, giving you the edge you need to stay on top of your finances. But that's not all. With the Payday Power Planner, you'll easily spot whether you're rocking a surplus or facing a deficit. Armed with this knowledge, you'll make informed decisions that set you up for financial success. It's time to transform your relationship with money and create the new money habits you need to achieve financial freedom. Get your hands on the Payday Power Planner from New Money Habits today and start making every dollar count. Don't let financial stress hold you back. Create a better plan for your money and seize the power of your pay period and thrive with the Payday Power Planner. Visit newmoneyhabits.com now to grab your free copy and unleash your financial potential. On this episode of the New Money Habits podcast, we are going to determine how much you should be budgeting each pay period for food, look at another Gen Z money trend that's truly a throwback to the generations before them, and ask ourselves, what does it mean to serve money? What's up, budgeteers, and welcome to the New Money Habits podcast. I'm your host and one of the co-founders of New Money Habits, Coach Nino Villa. And today on the New Money Habits podcast, we are going to determine how much money you need each payday to put food on the table, look at Gen Z's money trend called cash stuffing, and talk about what it means to serve money. If you have any questions, be sure to hit us up on social at New Money Habits and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. If you want to help out the show, consider leaving a five-star rating and review. We cannot thank you enough for leaving those five-star ratings and reviews. They truly help us to spread this message of hope to people looking for a better plan for their money. Now let's get into today's episode. I want to start off today's episode by talking about budgeting for food. Here at New Money Habits, one of our core principles is that putting food on the table, as we like to call it, is a top priority. Now, if you're anything like I was, you're not making it a priority. In fact, if you're like I was, you get your paycheck, you pay all of your obvious bills, your rent, your mortgage, your car payment, car insurance, utility bills, phone bill, and so on. And then you log into the bank account to see, do I have enough money left over to buy food? Now, here's the problem when you manage your money that way. Your basic needs are not being met. And so while you may be buying enough food to meet your basic need, Other basic needs are going unmet, like your mental health, your sanity, and your stress. Let me explain. See, you may be in the vicious cycle I found myself in before I started my new money habits. And that cycle is I was taking money that I had from my paycheck 
to try to pay down my credit card only to free up enough space on the credit card that I didn't have any cash left over to buy groceries. So I turned to the credit card to buy the groceries. And I was just in this vicious cycle of paying the credit card down just enough to free up enough space to have to then again use it to go and buy food. And so this really took a toll on just my mental health and, and, and sense of making progress toward paying off debt, uh, getting real control of my finances. They felt like they were out of control. And so when our priorities are out of alignment, our life can feel like it's a little bit out of alignment. And so here's the solution. It's time to create a new money habit. It's time to do something differently. It's time to make putting food on the table a true priority. And so what we do is we make putting food on the table a top priority in our payday power planner. If you download our Payday Power Planner, you're going to notice that putting food on the table is actually listed before some other traditional expenses. And that's because we want you to actually take a moment to think about how much money do I need to ensure that I'm meeting this basic need for food. Now, we have a couple of guidelines that we've come up with that we share with clients, and I'll share those with you here in just a moment. But I want to let you know we also offer a calculator on our website. If you go to newmoneyhabits.com, click on tools, you'll notice that we have a food calculator. And so it'll help you to actually calculate the uh, amount of money that you should be budgeting each pay period and for the month to ensure that you can put food on the table. So what are the guidelines you ask? That's a good question. We teach, and this has to be adjusted recently for inflation, but we teach that on average, you want to spend about $200 to $250 per person per month on food. And so what does that look like? Let's actually calculate it out. Me, my wife, and our two children... We're a family of four. So if we take the benchmark of $200 per person per month for food, well, then we know that two times four is $800. And so we should be budgeting $800 uh, a month for putting food on the table. Now, since we're paid bi-weekly, we would take that number and actually adjust it for our pay periods. And so uh, we would take that number divided by two and it becomes $400 uh, every two weeks for grocery shopping. And so this is a guideline, and it should help you to, to kind of set a, a benchmark that you can measure against. Are you spending that much money on food? And if not, are all of your food needs being met, or do we need to adjust? Are you spending more than that? And if so, is there some waste there? Or is there um, a, a little bit of indulgence there? And so maybe you can adjust uh, downward. I want to be clear. When it comes to putting food on the table, considering it is a top priority, you don't have to use the $200 or $250 benchmark. 
But what I really do encourage clients to do is ask themselves, how much money are you willing to spend on food before you feel like, wow, we're spending a lot of money on food. Now, again, it's a top priority. So it should be uh, something that you are spending you know, a considerable amount on, um, but within reason. I think the other thing that I would encourage our listeners to really consider is how much of your food budget or the money that you're uh, budgeting to put food on the table includes eating out. You know, when I first started coaching, I'll tell you, uh, I was really kind of a stickler for encouraging clients to go grocery shopping, to pick up food at the store, bring it home, and, and cook their meals at home. Because we know that for the most part, it is going to cost much less to go grocery shopping and to uh, make meals at home than it, than it costs to go out and eat out. But I've been doing this for a number of years now, and the more I work with people who are single, the more I uh, work with families that are incredibly busy, the more uh, I have to come to the realization that the reality is eating out is a part of the game. Eating out is just a part of how people spend money to put food on the table, and that is okay. I have challenges. I have um, techniques and and things that I want clients to think about differently. So I ask a series of, of questions. Um, I get them to think a little bit differently about how they might feed their entire family and uh, save themselves a little bit uh, in the pocketbook. And so just as an, uh, as an example, uh, I'm working with a, uh, a couple recently uh, with three children, so a family of five, and talked about uh, when they go out, is there food that multiple family members enjoy uh, the same? So that when they go out, they can maybe order a single meal, and since portion sizes are so large, that maybe they can start to share that portion, and so they're they're ordering less. So instead of ordering five separate meals, maybe they're ordering two or three meals and that food is being shared amongst the family. And so it's just a different way of looking at how do we spend our dollars on putting food on the table, even if it includes eating out, that maybe we can reduce costs a little bit. And truth be told, for that couple and their family, it also eliminated a lot of waste. Uh, they were the first to admit that a lot of food was going uneaten um, when they were buying five meals. And so now some people will use uneaten food for uh, leftovers the next day, and they can kind of make food last that way as well. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's just some different ways to be thinking about putting food on the table and how many dollars do I allocate towards that. So as I said before, we offer a food calculator. You can find that on our website under the tools section. And um, and there's a guideline here. There's just a, a benchmark, if you will, um, kind of a, an average. So 
the average American household uh, spends about $250 per person per month on food. So again, a family of four, that could be $1,000, right? So that's your benchmark. If you're a family of four, ask yourself, are we spending $1,000 a month on food? And if you're coming in, you know, significantly below that, ask yourself, are your uh, are your needs truly being met? And if you're spending more than that, just ask yourself, are there ways that we might be able to cut back? Or is it just, this is what we spend? Now, let me also kind of end with this. When I talk about budgeting for putting food on the table, I specifically mean food. So when I sit down with clients for the very first time and we talk about how much they spend at the grocery store or how much they spend on groceries, their trips to the grocery stores typically almost always include them picking up toiletries, cleaning supplies, and other things that are not food. So this is specifically carving out a dollar amount for food. So whether you go to the grocery store, whether you're eating out, whether it's a combination of both, that trip to the grocery store, these dollars are allocated just for food. The way I, I share it with clients all the time is when my wife and I made this change where uh, we were going to kind of separate out our food budget from our toiletries and other things that we get at the grocery store, it basically came down to this. Can I put it in my mouth? Can I eat it? If, if I can eat it, then that's part of our food budget. If it's something we pick up at the grocery store that I cannot consume, uh, that I cannot eat, then we have a separate budget uh, uh, line item for toiletries and getting all of the cleaning supplies and, and those things that we need. So this really is focused just on food. So often I ask clients, uh, how often do you go to the grocery store? And when you go to the grocery store, uh, on average, how much do you spend? And they give me a number, but then I have to pull that apart and we have to try to figure out how much are you truly spending on food and how much are you truly spending on things that are not food, but it's still part of your grocery run. So again, visit the website for the food calculator and check out that tool to help you determine how much you should be uh, budgeting each month and each pay period for putting food on the table. In our last episode, I addressed an article that talked about five trends of Gen Zers. And I, I, I specifically addressed one of the five trends. And I wanted to, I wanted to address a second trend in that article today. This uh, trend, air quotes, it, it makes me smile. It, it, it brings a, a smile to my face because uh, it's not a new trend. It is an oldie but a goodie. And I think Gen Z is just waking up to good sound uh, financial habits. And so uh, this one is really interesting. Uh, it's called Cash Stuffing. And if uh, if that title gives anything away, you, you probably can already sense where this is going. But it says that cash stuffing is a good strategy to save money. Most people think of Gen Z as a tech savvy digital native who want to do everything via mobile app, 
but many Gen Zers like to save money the old-fashioned way. See, there it is, the old-fashioned way, by handling cold, hard cash. Go figure. Cash stuffing is the Gen Z nickname for the envelope method. There it is. If you're familiar with the envelope system, you know exactly what we're talking about. But it goes on to say it's about setting specific spending goals each month and then assigning a fixed amount of cash for each purpose. And so the article kind of goes on and talks a little bit about uh, categories that they think are good for envelopes. I'll tell you that uh, at New Money Habits, we've been doing the envelope system uh, since the beginning. Uh, and so there are very specific categories that we encourage our clients to use cash in. And the first is what I actually talked about earlier in this episode, and that is for food. You will absolutely spend differently when you are handling cash at the grocery store or at a restaurant than you do when you're using your debit or credit card. And so uh, I encourage every new client that I sit down with that we can implement the cash envelope system here in this particular category and putting food on the table. Um, and, but they can't cheat. You can't cheat. You can't go to the grocery store with a debit or credit card with you backing you up in case you overspend. You actually have to go to the grocery store just with cash and, and it's going to force you. It's going to force you to behave differently. You will shop differently. You will buy differently uh, and, and you will plan differently. You will go to the grocery store with a plan. While you're there, you will not be as impulsive as you may otherwise be. And you may choose to go generic in certain areas um, versus with brand, brand names. So 100%, the putting food on the table category is a, is a try and true, tested and approved way of uh implementing the cash envelope system. Another category that we use cash for is toiletries and cleaning supplies. So as I mentioned earlier, when you're going to the grocery store, you're going to buy food, but you're also going to be buying a bunch of other things that you cannot consume as food. You know, your shampoo, your conditioner, your dish soap, your uh, paper towels, and so on and so on. So that is another area where uh, you could have a cash envelope. And I will tell you, I got no shame in my game. When my wife and I adopted this method and implemented it, we also had a newborn. So we had food, toiletries, and baby supplies, three separate categories, all funded with cash, all three of those cash envelopes went with us every time we went to the grocery store. And when we filled up the cart, we kind of segmented them. Like, here's all of our food items. Here are all of our toiletries. Here are all of our baby supplies. And then when we got to the conveyor belt, because that was 13 years ago, this before self-checkout was all the craze, we would get to the conveyor belt. We would put all of our food items up there. Grab that little plastic divider, put it on the conveyor belt, put all of our toiletries up there, grab another plastic divider, and put all of our baby supplies up there. And then the food got paid uh, got paid for out of the food envelope. The toiletries got paid for out of the toiletries envelope, and the baby supplies got paid for 
out of the baby envelope. It just, it really took our money management skills to a whole nother level. We were being incredibly intentional. We were being uh, so thoughtful and uh, disciplined in what we budgeted, how we went about shopping for it, and how we spent money on it. And so I uh, would encourage everybody to have a food envelope and a toiletries envelope and go to the grocery store with both of those and and spend on food from the food envelope and on toiletries from the toiletries envelope. Another category that we teach our clients to use cash for is personal care expenses. And so this would be for men going to the barber shop, for women going to the hair salon and and things of that nature. So if I am going to go get a haircut and I have cash on me, I just, it's just one of those places where I can spend cash instead of having to um, manage it with a debit or a credit card and then trying to figure out um, how to implement that into the budget. Nope. Just go to the ATM, grab cash for these categories, including haircuts. And so that when we go, we can just spend the cash. Uh, another category that's really uh, good for this type of thing is pet care needs. And the reason why a cash envelope is so good for pet care needs is because you can kind of determine how much money do I want to be saving out of every paycheck into this envelope. And so when you go and you run to the ATM and you take out cash for all of your envelopes, you're stuffing this envelope with some cash. Now let's just for argument's sake, say it's $50. And so in that two-week period, maybe you had to go, for us, we have two dogs, and so there's grooming, there's food, that sort of thing. So maybe in that two-week period, there was some grooming, and so we spent from it. But maybe we didn't spend all of it. Maybe there's $10 left in that envelope. Well, the next pay period, we're still going to grab another $50 and we're going to stuff $50 in with that $10 and now we have $60. And so what happens is this envelope has an opportunity to grow and grow over time so that when you want to splurge or you want to do something different or maybe you're going out of town and you need to board uh, the pets while you're away or whatever the case may be, uh, allowing that that envelope to have some ebb and flow to it while you're using it allows it to kind of save up any unused portion of it over time that you can then use for something else pet specific, but maybe it's time for the vet uh, appointment. And so maybe it's $65 just to get seen by the vet. And so instead of having to figure out where in the budget is that going to come from, this envelope that you've been putting money into every payday but maybe haven't spent all of it in between each payday has grown up in a little bit of a balance and it has the money just sitting there waiting for you to have to make that, that uh, annual vet visit or whatever the case may be. And so a great, uh, a great category to use uh, with cash. And then the last category uh, that I want to share today uh, is your spending cash, your pocket money. Look, every time I sit down with a new client, I have to remind them it is your hard-earned money and you should enjoy some of it guilt-free. Now, within reason, right? So let's say you're paid every two weeks. Well, over a 14-day period, how much money would you like to have in your pocket 
cash so that you can spend it on a trip through the drive-through, whether that's for your morning cup of coffee or for um, dinner on the way home. But how much cash would you like to have in your pocket that you get to spend guilt-free on those those what I like to call incidentals, the things you're not necessarily going to put into your budget, but things that you want to spend money on when you have some cash. And so let, let me review those five categories for you real quick. You got food, toiletries, personal care, like going to get a haircut, pet care needs, and spending cash. So in those five areas, they are great for using the cash envelope system. Now, as I mentioned uh, before, when you're using cash, first of all, the use of cash itself, you cannot overspend. It's physically impossible. If I have $20 on me and I go to the nearest drive-thru, I cannot spend more than $20. I just can't. So the other part of that is leave the debit and credit card at home. When you are using cash, at the grocery store, as spending cash to go um, and take care of pet care needs or to go get yourself groomed, leave the debit and credit card at home. If you take it with you, you know that you have a safety net and I'd rather help you develop these new money habits by getting rid of the safety net. Leave the safety net at home, go to the grocery store, and be courageous. Fill up that cart. Maybe keep a running tally in your head or on your phone's calculator. Like, how much have I spent so far? I have $100 on me. I can't go over that. You know, do, do some calculations along the way and kind of track how much money have I spent so far. And don't be afraid to put something back. As I mentioned before, when we used to go to the grocery store and we had three different categories, as we put things in the cart, there was the food, there were the toiletries, there were the baby supplies. And I'm just as impulsive as the next person, especially if I go to the grocery store uh, hungry. And so I'm going to grab things that are not on the list and I'm going to put them in the cart. But I actually would put them off to the side so that if we overspent on food, I knew exactly what was going back first. And so then, you know, I would just have to say, no, nope, I'm not going to be getting that today. I need to just put that back. And so um, that didn't happen too often because we implemented the idea of let's just calculate along the way how much we're about to spend so that we didn't have to do that. But I, again, there's no shame in my game. So I was perfectly okay with putting things back. And the great thing about a budget, especially one that is based on paydays rather than the month, is that you can always adjust the amount of cash you have in your envelopes to suit your needs. So let's say you start this idea of, I'm going to budget $200 per person uh, per month on food, and I'm a family of four. And so that's $800 for the month. It's $400 every two weeks. So you take $400 out the first time, you put it in an envelope, you shop for the next 14 days using that $400. And if for some reason it wasn't enough, we adjust next time. 
If it was far too much, I would actually encourage you do not adjust downward to actually keep at that $400 uh, every two weeks for about six weeks. After six weeks, if you notice that you are consistently coming in underneath, great, change it. But um, give yourself some time to see what the ebbs and flows in your grocery shopping look like. But the great thing is, it's only for 14 days. You can do anything for the next 14 days. Hey there, budgeteers. Are you tired of feeling like your finances are running the show? Well, it's time to flip the script and take charge of your money with New Money Habits Financial Coaching. This isn't your typical financial advice. New Money Habits is about empowering you with the knowledge and tools you need to make savvy money moves and build a solid financial foundation. Here's the deal. We're offering a free discovery session to kickstart your journey to financial freedom. Yep, you heard me right. Free. In this session, one of our experienced coaches will help you to pinpoint your financial goals and create a better plan for your money. We're talking about mastering your money mindset, picking up practical money management skills, and having someone to hold you accountable along the way. So if you're ready to kiss financial stress goodbye and say hello to a brighter financial future, then schedule your free session today to create the new money habits you need to achieve financial freedom. All right, my friends, let's talk about what does it mean to serve money? Well, in God's holy scriptures, in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So what does that mean? What does it mean to serve money or to be enslaved to money? Well, when I think about this, I think about what are we serving? Who are we serving? How are we serving? And so to serve money, you know, there's an extreme here, right? If you're serving money in a completely immoral and and maybe even an illegal way, well, then you might be lying and stealing and cheating for money, right? That's kind of the extreme. Uh, illegal activity or just immoral activity. If you're a salesperson and you know that you're lying to people in order to make a sale, you know, that's that's one way that we end up serving money. But a more common example would be having a drive and a desire to make more money, even at the expense of one's marriage or relationships with children and that sort of thing. And unfortunately, that is far too common. That is far too common, especially in the society here in the United States, that we are so driven for more, to make more, to have the next title, uh, to, to get that raise so that we can then consume, you know, whether it's a larger house, a newer car, the latest gadget. And so we that drive and that desire to make more money so that we can have these different things often, often unfortunately comes at the expense of a healthy marriage and spending quality time with your spouse or having the relationship you truly desire with your children because unfortunately maybe you've put work first too often. I want to remind everybody, money itself 
is amoral. It, it has no morals. And, and there is no inherent moral intent with money. It is not a bad thing to have money. It's just a matter of the position that we give money and what we do with that money. You know, a brick is also amoral. And a brick is often used to build a building. And that is a good and noble use for a brick. But a brick can also be used to smash in a car window and to steal it. And, and so that is not a good and honorable use of a brick. And so we have to think about money in a very similar way. Again, money itself is immoral. And so what is that money being used for? Are we using money to um, accumulate as much stuff as we possibly can? Or are we using money to meet our needs and to maybe even help meet the needs of others? And so my prayer, my earnest prayer, is that if you're listening to this right now, that uh, you understand that money is neither good nor bad, uh, but that how we use money is the thing that we ought to be uh, concerning ourselves with and really checking our drive and our desire to make more money. What is the true motivation? Why is it that we want that? And what is... What am I giving up in order to drive towards making more money? And so I want to share that it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. That's where it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So again, it's not that money itself is evil. It's not that um, making money is evil. But when we love money, that becomes the root of all kinds of evil. Circling back to what I shared a moment ago, on the extreme side, a love for money could look like illegal activity. It could also look like immoral activity. And that, again, is the extreme. But the love of money could lead somebody to lie, steal, cheat, and do all sorts of things that they wouldn't otherwise think of doing. But unfortunately, the more common experience is that our drive and our desire and our love for money, it really takes from other things that are more important, like those relationships in our lives, whether that is our marriage, our children, our siblings, uh, whatever that those relationships are to you that are important, uh, they usually suffer when we try to serve money. Now, again, the scripture says that no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and you will love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And so this is one of my favorite verses because when I can help a client to not serve money, to manage their money well enough that their stress and anxiety is reduced. It really frees them up for something bigger, something that God might have uh, purposed for them in their lives. And so when I can help them to uh, break the chains of serving money because they're not uh, driving and desiring to make more, but they're managing what they have really, really well, then uh, amen and, and praise the Lord. 
That does it for this episode of the New Money Habits Podcast. Remember, if you have any questions, make sure to hit us up on social at New Money Habits and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please consider leaving a five-star rating and review to help us spread this message of hope to people looking for a better plan for their money.